You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. We are in a series titled, Unexpected Messiah. And the reason for the title is Jesus was not the Messiah everyone expected him to be. And today we'll see that again. Uh, We know that the Jews were looking for a deliverer to deliver their nation, and yet Jesus came very differently. He came uh, to bring a revolution, but not the revolution they expected. They expected a revolution from Rome. They expected to be delivered and uh, have the Messiah set up the kingdom so that they could be prosperous and wealthy. And, And Jesus did come to bring a revolution, but a different revolution, a revolution of the heart, a revolution of the soul. And Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. We spent several weeks in it, chapter 5 through 7. Just an amazing study. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, And this most life-giving, profound message ever spoke. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus revealed what his kingdom was all about and the values of his kingdom. But there was no revolution of governments. No, it was a revolution of the heart. And I find that our nation today is in a much similar situation. What we need today is not a revolution of government, but a revolution of the human soul, a revolution of our hearts. We need revival. We need Jesus come to come and heal our land, do we not? And uh, as I was reading this passage today, I was, uh, uh, as I was preparing for today, I was in awe. I mean, here's a passage I've read th- literally thousands of times. And yet in studying it, I saw some things that were very apropos for our day. I've titled the message, Prejudice, Racism, and Jesus. And I think that we're going to see some things in the text today uh, that will uh, be very enlightening to the world that we're living in right now. As Matthew moves from the Sermon on the Mount into chapter 8, he does something very intentional. In Matthew chapter 8 and 9, he shows the power of Jesus. There are 10 miracles, 10 healings that, that, that are shown in, in chapters 8 and 9. And he is showing that Jesus has power over all things. He has power over sickness. He has power over nature, calming storms. He has power over the spiritual world, casting demons out of individuals just with the word. At his word, they obey his command. He has power to heal blindness. To restore sight to those who have never seen before. We're going to see in these two chapters, he has power to forgive sin. And we're going to see that he has even power over death as he raises a young girl from from death. And Jesus has all power. What we see is Jesus' sovereignty on display. He has the power of God in his hands. He is not just a good teacher who gave a good sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. No, no, no. He is God in the flesh and he speaks and proves that his words are God's by the actions that he does. His sovereignty is on display. His power is on display. And so here in chapter 8, we see Jesus finishing the Sermon on the Mount. And if you go back one verse, uh, two verses, you'll see uh, in 728. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were what? Astonished at his teaching. They were blown away. Such life-giving words, such profound words, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. 
He wasn't like the other religious leaders who were just regurgitating things they had learned. No, no, no. He spoke with authority. And when he spoke, it gave life to the soul. And so now, coming down from the mountain, chapter 8, great multitudes followed him. Jesus' popularity just, just growing incredibly. And now huge multitudes are following him because they've never heard such life-giving words. And behold, or in other words, pay attention, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Yeah, you know about leprosy, I think. Uh, Even though it's not a disease that's common today, uh, it was prevalent at that time. It was everywhere at that time, and it was a terminal disease. It was fatal. It was a death sentence. And if you had leprosy, you were done. Leprosy, by the way, in the Bible is a picture of what, Bible scholars? Sin. Yeah, you Bible scholars know that. It's a picture of sin. Do you know why? Why is leprosy, of all things, a picture of sin? Anybody know why? A very interesting reason God chose it to be a picture of sin. Because leprosy does something to the human body. It causes it to be insensate. It causes it to lose feeling. It causes it to just be dead. And we often think that leprosy, uh, you know, people, they, you know, that your limbs fall off when you have leprosy. And that's true, but not from the leprosy, from the results of leprosy when you lose all feeling in those limbs. You can be asleep and an animal comes and starts chewing on your toes and you don't even feel it. You can be walking along and you kick a toe off and you don't even feel it. And you start losing body parts because uh, you're insensate. And what a picture of sin that is, isn't it? Uh, When we sin, the first time we do it, it's like, but then afterwards it just becomes, we're insensate to it. We don't even realize I remember as a young boy, the first time I said a swear word, the first time I cussed. Do you remember the first time you cussed? I remember the first time I cussed. I was like, I said a word and I was like, I was waiting for something to happen and nothing happened and it wasn't long before what? Those words were just coming out of my mouth like regular words. I became insensate to it. And so leprosy, a picture of sin in the Bible, it deadens us. Um, And so this leper, he comes, verse 2, Behold, a leper came and worshipped him. That's Jesus saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Can you imagine how those words must have sounded? Lord, if you're willing, you could heal me. You could make me clean. I am willing. Be cleansed. And he touches him. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. It is like having stage four cancer. And you are, you are just, you have your death sentence. And now you are given life. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What's that? Yeah, there was a section in the Bible, Leviticus chapter 14. If you're a Bible geek, you might want to go back and read it. Not now, after church. Uh, There's this whole chapter about what the priests are supposed to do when a leper gets healed. How often do you think that chapter got visited? (laughs) Never. Never. It just did not happen. Leprosy was incurable. And there were no cures. There was no healings. It was not happening. And yet this chapter is in the Bible. There is one man in the Bible who got healed of leprosy by Elijah, Naaman. Uh, but other than that, it was non-existent. And so Jesus tells this leper, he says, hey, don't go tell anyone. Imagine if you were a leper and you got healed. What would be the first thing you want to do? Woohoo! 
And I don't think Jesus was saying, don't tell anybody, but I would think he was saying this, I don't want people following me just for miracles. I want them following for me, and I have an assignment for you. I don't want you going around telling everybody because you're going to forget what assignment I gave you. He gave him an assignment. What assignment did he give him? We just read it. What did he tell him? Go and tell the priest. Go and tell the priest that you've been healed and to do the offerings that are required of you uh, and uh, they're going to have to dust off the Bible and look at Leviticus 14 and they're going to have to figure out and what's happening. Here's what's happening. Jesus is going to heal all kinds of lepers and now all these lepers are going to be going minute to the priest and they're going to be saying, hey, I got healed. You got healed. Are you kidding me? You had leprosy. It's just a myth. This never happened. Let me dust off the dust off of Leviticus 14. Who did this? A man named Jesus. And now all the high priests are going to know, whoa, the Messiah is here. Interesting how Jesus does it. By the way, uh, again, for you Bible lovers, uh, which I am fascinated with the depth of the Bible. Very interesting, by the way, this is the first miracle mentioned in the book of Matthew. The first miracle in the book of Matthew. And it's a leper being healed. I would encourage you Bible scholars who just love studying Uh, When you get some time, go look in each of the Gospels and find out the first miracle mentioned in each one. They're different. And Matthew mentions the healing of a leper because lepers are a representation of what? Sin. And to the, the book of Matthew was written to the Jews. And here the first miracle of the Messiah coming is sin being healed, leprosy being healed. So very insightful if you look at the first miracle of each, each of the books. I'm not going to tell you what they are though because I want you to, want you to find it. Uh, so here's some interesting things that are going on. Uh, this power of Jesus, this leper being healed. But I saw something as I was studying today, uh, excuse me, studying for today, that um, just caught my attention. Uh, Lepers were a despised people group. They were very contagious, uh, and uh, people hated lepers. Uh, They had to be segregated. They had to live in their own little leper colonies. They couldn't socialize with others. There was hatred against them. Prejudice, racism, and Jesus. And here these lepers, they were so hated that when they were coming down, when they were walking down the street, they had to wait for everybody to move out of their way before they could walk down the street. And so they would have to walk down the street and say, unclean, unclean, unclean. And people would despise them and pull their cloaks in tight and their clothing in tight and not want to be touched by them and give them the stink eye and and they were just despised in the community. There were many prejudices in Jesus' day. Not just lepers, but how about this one? The Samaritans and the Jews. Oh, the world wasn't facing the same exact racism that we're facing today, but it was facing racism just the same. This hatred was very deep. The Samaritans and the Jews, oh, they hated each other. They wouldn't even talk to each other. They wouldn't even come near each other. They would walk around the community of each other to not have to associate with each other. There was severe hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. How long standing was it? When did it start? Well, it started at the Assyrian captivity, which was dated back to 722 B.C. In other words, 700 years of prejudice. That's a long time. That's deeply ingrained. Would you agree? And they hated each other. It was bad. Jesus frequently faced both religious and racial discrimination. It's not something new. It's something that Jesus faced. It's something that was common in the world. It's been in the world for a long time. It wasn't just the lepers. It wasn't just the Jews and the Samaritans. There was more. The Jews thought they were superior to the Gentiles. They thought they were spiritually elite. 
It was more than just that. The Romans, what did they think? They thought they were better than everybody. And when they conquered your nation, they thought you were privileged. Congratulations, you're now part of the Roman Empire. Right? They thought they were doing you a favor. And so there's these prejudices that were deep and ingrained. Not only that, there were tax collectors, and everybody hated the tax collectors because they were corrupt and they were, you know, taking your money. And not only that, women did not have equal rights with men. As a matter of fact, women, you've come a long way, baby, and a lot of it is because of Jesus Christ and what he taught and what he did and how he valued women and how he included them on his team and how he was just, it was because of Jesus. But these things were there. They were going on. They were, they were in the world. Here's what I want you to know. Prejudice and racism have a long history. Why? Because prejudice and racism are rooted in what? In sin. In sin. How so? In self-righteousness. In thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. In thinking you can't have racism, you can't have prejudice without thinking you are better than someone else. And that is a problem of sin. Just a problem of sin. And therefore, because it's a sin issue, the answer to prejudice in racism will not be found in government programs. In an attempt at social reform, or in looting, or in vandalism, or in anarchy, or in politics, or in writing more laws. Why won't racism be fixed by writing more laws? Why won't racism be fixed by changing police strategies or police bylaws or whatever you call them? I, I'm not remembering the right name, but why won't that fix it? Why won't more laws fix it? Because it's a heart issue. And you know what? You cannot write enough laws to govern the heart of man. How many of you sped this morning on the way to church? On the freeway? I did. <laughs> Why? Because I don't really care too much about that law. I'm not saying that's right. <laughs> I feel like I'm, uh, I'm in trouble now. And for all you officers of the peace, I'm sorry. Please don't write me up. But here's the problem. Sin is bound in the heart. And it's a hard issue. And it doesn't matter how many laws you write. It won't govern a man. It just won't. The answer to racism is not more laws, but it's the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is the answer to our problem. And how many of you know our world is kind of going out of control right now? Is it scaring you? Is it bothering you? Are you concerned? How many of you realize the world is spinning out of control right now? Yeah. Yeah. The answer to the problem is the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to just toe the party line in church and go, oh, yeah, it's Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask now, why? Why? Why is it that the answer to racism is the Lord Jesus Christ? Why? Well, here's why. When a person follows Jesus, prejudice and racism and disdain for others comes to an end. But even still, we're towing the party line. I want to know why. Why? I don't want to hear from you. Why? Why is this? Is this true? Is this really true? Or is this just a good thing to say in church? Is the answer to racism really the lordship of Jesus Christ? Why? Why? Let me hear from you. changes the heart. How does it change the heart? That is the answer. How does it change the heart? How? Your name's Suzanne? Laura. Laura, darn it. Sorry. Laura. You, what did you say, Laura? You recognize your own 
you recognize your own sin. Ding, 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 ding. That's the answer. Here's what happens. The only way to come to Jesus Christ is to recognize that I, myself, am an outcast. That I, myself, am a sinner. That I, myself, am a leper. And unless Jesus heals me, I am doomed. I am done. I am lost. And in coming to him, the only way I can come to him is as a sinner. He reaches out his hand and he touches me and he says, I am willing. You're cleansed. You're made righteous. And now I'm made whole. And now I don't go around judging other sinners. No, man. I don't go around judging other outcasts. No way. I realize I am that outcast. I am that leper. And I realize, hey, we're all messed up. And by the grace of Jesus Christ, we've been invited by God to be adopted into the family of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is why the answer to racism is the lordship of Jesus. Because I just don't think I'm better than anybody else anymore. And only Jesus can do that for my heart. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that good news? And hey, we want to be wise, man, because the world needs reform. The world needs healing. It's in desperate trouble. Uh, and we can, be, we can bring real change to the world. Here's what the Bible says about it. The, this answer to racism is the, is the Lordship of Jesus. Look at Romans 3.23 on your screens. Read it with me, if you will, out loud. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. Keep that on there just for a moment. Go back if you will. Look what he says. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. You can't look at your brother and go, what's wrong with you? You're such a loser. Why don't you just, ooh, I don't like those people. You it's impossible. Because we realize all of us have fallen short. And it's his undeserved kindness that's been given to us through Jesus who is given to us as a sacrifice for our sin. Let's read what the rest of the verse says. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Oh, it changes my heart from the inside. Now when I see someone struggling and, and someone messed up, I don't go, hey, what's wrong with you? I go, hey, brother, I know you. I'm that guy. I get it. I totally get it. I don't struggle with that, but man, I got a million other struggles. And here's what the Bible says. Jesus taught it on the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's like, hey, with the same measure you use to others, what? Hey, measured back to you. You've been given a ton of grace. Now give a ton of grace. That's the way it is. Not only that, we've all been adopted, we're all messed up, we've all been kicked out, we're all lepers, we're all excluded, we're all misfits, and we've been adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. And look how Galatians puts it. Look at this verse on your screens. Read with me. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female or leper or black or Italian or Japanese or anything else. It's all done away with for you are all one in Christ. Now that doesn't mean there's not diversity in the body. God loves diversity. Look at creation. Look at the animal kingdom. I love to watch the animal planet or planet earth or all those things. I mean, it's amazing the diversity and that diversity makes it wonderful. We don't hate the diversity. We love the diversity. Wouldn't it be horrible if every meal you had the same thing? French toast, French toast, French toast, French toast. How long before you'd say... Man, I can't stand French toast. And eating would be laborious. Oh, it happened like that. Just a day, a couple days, you'd be done. 
Instead, God makes us variety of food. A nice thick steak. Oh, man. Put some Lowry's on there and some, some rub on there and put it on the grill. Get those nice charred lines on it. Oh, man. And a baked potato. With some, my wife planted some zucchini in the, in the yard and she grilled them up last night, sliced them and grilled them and they were growing in our yard and was like, baby, you're amazing. This is like so good, right? Hey, that's the diversity that God brings into the body. Uh, he's not saying there's no more zucchini and there's no more tomatoes and there's no, no, he's saying now all that is now one family. All one family. And there's no more distinction. I'm still glad there's male and female, by the way. Love that. But it's all one family in Christ. Males aren't better than females. Slaves aren't better than free. It's all one family in Christ, right? Um, That's the way the Lord has designed it. So just amazing. You know what, church? Our nation needs healing. And our city needs healing. Maybe even your own family and your own marriage needs healing. It all begins here. It all begins coming to Jesus as a sinner and saying, Lord, I am messed up. I need to be cleansed. I need to be adopted into your family. Only then will we no longer look down on our brother. Only then will we not find someone that we want to make ourselves better than and, and uh, suppress them underneath us. It all happens with Jesus. We all know that love is the answer, right? We all know it. Even Hollywood knows it. Even Hollywood knows love is the answer. Even Miss America knows love is the answer, right? We all know that love is the answer. What's the problem? Only Jesus can give us the ability to actually know what love is and know what love does. And only Jesus can change our hearts so we can actually love. Knowing the answer doesn't do any good because we're not able to do it. But Jesus actually gives us the ability to love our neighbor. And Jesus breaks down the walls of prejudice and racism. He repeatedly went out of his way to do it. Do you hear what he's doing here? Do you see what he's doing here? What does he tell this leper to go do? Who does he tell him to go speak to? The priest who would despise him and make sure that he didn't get dirty by him? Yeah, go talk to him. And let's break down that wall, right? Let's break down that prejudice. How about, uh, you'll see this over and over and over in Jesus' ministry. He was always trying to get rid of the racism and and the segregation. How about the Jews and the Samaritans? What did Jesus do about that? Well, the Jews would go way out of their way to travel around the area of Samaria. What did Jesus say? For you Bible scholars, John chapter 4. I got to walk through Samaria. And he goes, and where does he go straight towards? To a woman who had five husbands and gave up on marriage. And now she's just shacking up with a guy because marriage is too permanent, too much hassle. Now just living with a guy. And Jesus goes to her and he saves her, and her life gets turned around, and she becomes a follower of Jesus. What's he doing? Oh, he's bridging this gap. He's getting rid of the racism. The disciples come back, and they're amazed that he's talking to a woman. I mean, come on. And a Samaritan? (gasps) Even more amazed. What's he doing? He's getting rid of these walls of prejudice and racism. Not only that, But Jesus would tell parables. How many of you have ever heard a parable of Jesus? How many of you have ever heard the parable of the good, what? The good Jew? Is it the parable of the good Jew? It's not the parable of the good Jew. What's it called? (gasps) What's that? Yeah, the ones that the Jews hated. Jesus tells a story. It's not a real story. It's a parable. And the hero of the story is who? A Samaritan, what's Jesus doing? He's breaking down the walls. Very intentional. How so? How so? Well, here's the story. There's this guy, and he's beaten by robbers, and he's left for dead. And who goes by and ignores him? A priest. A Jewish priest. 
Oh, I'm too busy. I'm doing the Lord's work. I got a sermon to preach at 1030. Don't have time to help you. Another guy goes by. Who's the next guy? A Levite from the tribe of Levi. Another priestly tribe. And he's too busy to help him. Another person comes by, a traveler, and he is who? A Samaritan. And this Samaritan loves this man, cares for this man, puts him on his own animal, takes him to an inn, pays for it, says, if you need anything else, I'll take care of it. What is Jesus doing? Not a real story. What is Jesus doing? He is breaking down the walls of prejudice that we all put up in our minds and in our hearts. And he repeatedly went out of his way to do it. This outcast leper, uh, Jesus is at work. And he's breaking down walls of prejudice, even with him. I find it awesome, by the way, that this outcast leper, what did he know? He knew that he could come to Jesus. He knew that Jesus wouldn't be prejudiced of him. He knew that he could come to Jesus as is and that Jesus would accept him as is. He knew that he could come to Jesus as is and Jesus would love him as is. He knew that Jesus would value him as a person and clearly Jesus did. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I am willing. And he touched him. And I wonder, I wonder, can you imagine how good it felt for that leper to be touched? When was the last time he had a human touch? A meaningful, significant, cared for touch? How long had it been? Can you imagine how it felt to that leper when Jesus said, I am willing, and he actually put his arm around him? Wow, I was just hoping you would just wave a magic wand or something. I mean, unbelievable. No, he embraced him. Amazing. Amazing. And here's the issue. Jesus heals and restores and gives life to sinful lepers like us. And I love what he does. What does he do to the sinful leper after he heals him? What does he do with him? We talked about it. What did he do? He gave him a ministry. Hey, I want to use you on my team. I got work for you. You do? Well, man, I'd love to work. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to go, like, go to the other lepers? No, no, no. I got a different job for you. Really? What do you want me to do? I actually want you to go to the high priest. <gasps> Look how Jesus values him. Look how he lifts him up. Hey, I want you to know the answer to poverty and homelessness and fatherlessness and all this is not welfare. It's giving purpose. It's giving a reason for living. It's giving direction in life. And that is what Jesus does for all of us. I love Jesus' style. And I have a question for you, church. How are we doing? How are we doing at this very thing? I mean the mission church, us. How are we doing? How accepting of others are we? Could we effectively minister to the outcast and to the down and outs? And would they be comfortable here? Or would they feel like, what are you doing here? One of my favorite things about you is how you love people that come to this place. I hear it all the time. We felt so welcomed when we came there. But here's the question. Would the down and out and the out and out and the, would they feel welcomed? Would we value their person? Would we love them as is? Or would we have disdain? If the homeless community was in here in record number, would we be welcoming? Would we be loving? Oh, I hope, I hope we would. I hope we would. That's Jesus' style. That's what he, he... I hope we wouldn't think, oh, well, I'm better than you. What are you doing here? Oh, this person. Oh, my gosh. That would be a shame. Here's what I'm getting at. Church, our nation is in trouble. And now is the time for Christians to rise and to bring healing to our land. It begins with us. May we go out of our way 
to actually listen and care about those who we view as in a different party than us, a different race than us, a different color than us. Can you imagine actually listening, a Republican and a Democrat actually listening instead of just attacking each other? Can you imagine? I mean, it has gotten bad. The, 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 the polarization is on everything. Even on this issue of race, there is radical polarization. There are some who are saying, uh, hey, it's all about looting and, and stealing and vandalism and, and, and they're turning a blind eye to that. And they're saying, that's not really the problem and we'll champion those people. Well, that's not the answer. But on the other side of the coin, the answer isn't to say, well, racism really isn't a problem. No, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And it's so important, man. May we not ever condone stealing and lawlessness, but man, may we not turn a blind eye to it also. I tell you, it worries me that we have mayors like Bill de Blasio who can turn a blind eye to it. And Governor Andrew Cuomo who can turn a blind eye to it. And in Seattle, Jenny Durkin, who can turn a blind eye to it. Crazy! May we not do that. But on the flip side, may we not pretend that racism isn't a real issue and that it needs healing. And may we not turn a blind eye to that. I want to move us on. Let's think about this. Jesus is willing to heal our afflictions if we are willing to bring our afflictions to him. Are we willing? Are we willing? This leper was willing. He had a problem and he knew Jesus was the answer. How about us as a country? We have a problem and if we are willing to bring our our problem to Jesus, he's willing to heal it. This leper did and Jesus was happy and willing to touch him and to heal him. This one's going to sting a little bit. I'll tell you in advance, okay? Uh, Brace yourself. This one's going to sting a little bit. Some of us do not bring our afflictions to Jesus because we don't want to be healed. We don't bring our afflictions to Jesus because we don't want to be healed. Why? Because being healed requires a whole new level of personal responsibility. When a leper is healed, his days of being a victim are over. He loses his excuse for having broken and dysfunctional lifestyle. He loses his excuse for having ruined relationships. He loses his excuse for not being a contributor to society, but a taker from society. He, his excuses for not succeeding are gone. I mentioned earlier that the leper, he could come to Jesus as is, and Jesus knew that. Excuse me, and the leper knew that. And we can. We can come to Jesus as is, and I love that about Jesus. Jesus allows us to come to him as is. He loves us as is. He treats us with respect and dignity as is. But I want you to know this, and make no mistake about it. Jesus does not leave us what? as is. It doesn't matter who you are. He will not leave us as is. Jesus changes us. And many of us really do not want to be changed. We really don't want Jesus to heal us. We like our sin just the way it is, and we're comfortable in it. We like having an excuse for our behavior. We say things like, yeah, I know I've got a temper, but I'm Italian. So what? Doesn't give you the right to be an angry jerk. I know I'm controlling, but I have trust issues. So what? Get over it. Bring it to Jesus. Let him heal you. I know I'm materialistic, but I just love shopping. So what? Right? 
If we are willing to bring these things to Jesus, he's willing to heal us, heal us. But the truth is, some of us don't want to do that. Um, we, just, we just don't want that. This leper knew Jesus would heal him. He also knew that as a result, his life would change. I want you to know, this is kind of a shocking statement to make in church, but it's really true. In many ways... Following Jesus is the most terrifying thing a person can do if we really follow Jesus. Why? Because we cannot follow Jesus and stay the same. He, he, he leads us to change. Oh, it's marvelous change. It's life-giving change. It's abundant life change, but he leads us to change. And many of us just don't want that. We want to add Jesus to our life, but we don't want to change. And so we simply dabble in our relationship with Jesus. And it doesn't work. You know why? Because Jesus wants to heal our whole life. He wants to change us. Uh, and there's a, a picture here of those who really didn't want to get changed. Look at verse 18. We'll come back, and if time allows, we'll read the verses in between. But jump up to verse 18. Are you there? <clears throat> Let's look what happens. Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, and he gave a command to depart to the other side. That's the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Then a certain scribe. Who's a scribe, church? What is a scribe? What kind of position is that? That's a religious leader, okay? He's a religious leader. He, he, he's, he, he writes, he uh, he's, transcribes the Bible. Then a certain scribe came to him, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Oh man, Jesus, I just heard the Sermon on the Mount. I just saw you heal that leper. I just saw you do all these things. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, are you sure? Look what he says. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes where they live. Birds of the air have nests where they live. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Crazy. Crazy. Can you imagine that, by the way? Just as a sidebar, the creator of the universe doesn't have a pillow for himself tonight. Doesn't have a room to sleep in tonight. Why? Because I'm going about doing the Father's will, and I've got a mission to do, and it's not about, about my comfort. Are you sure you want to follow me? It's going to require some change. Look what else happens. Then another of his disciples, first one was a religious leader, now even this is one of his disciples, and he says to him, Lord, yeah, I'll, I'll go follow you. Yeah, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This sounds harsh, but here's what's happening. This guy, he's coming to Jesus and he's saying, wow, I realize the cost is pretty high and I don't really want that much of you, Jesus. I'll follow you later. And it's not that his dad was dying right then, but his dad was elderly. And he said, let me take care. And that's important, by the way. That's super important. But it was a smokescreen. What was the smokescreen? Here's the smokescreen. This guy didn't want to follow Jesus that closely, and he wanted to feel good about not doing it. Let me say that again. This guy didn't want to follow Jesus very closely, and he wanted to feel good about doing that. And so we look for churches that make us feel good about not following Jesus very closely. And we look for hanging out with other so-called Christians who make us feel good about not, hanging, not following Jesus very closely. Uh, there's a price to following Jesus. It's real. And uh, he, wants, he wants to change our life. These men did not follow Jesus because the cost was high. And like many of us today, they were willing to add Jesus to their life, but not make Jesus what? Lord of their life. Yeah, you know it. What does Lord mean? We don't use that word in English very often. Hey, my Lord. No, we don't use that very often. But we do use this word very often, don't we? The boss. Hey, there's the boss. Hey, boss, what's going on? You know, what, what would you have me do today? If the boss tells you to wear black pants and a white shirt to work, what color clothes do you come to work with? 
Why? Because he's the boss. And that's what it means to make him Lord. It means we do what he says because he's our boss. And uh, these guys did not want that in their life. Making Jesus Lord of our life means he's the authority of our life. He's the one giving us direction in my life. He is the priority of my life. It means that I start to listen to him and I become a giver, not a what? Taker. That's just what he says. It means that I, I edify instead of complain because he's my boss. It means that I build up instead of tear down. It means I fix relationships instead of just break them off and say, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I don't have that option. Why? Because why? Because he's my, he's my boss. He doesn't let me do that. Now, none of us do it perfectly. And when we mess up, we just repent and we get right back on track. And I love that about Jesus. I mess up all the time. But when I mess up, he's still my boss. And I say, Lord, sorry, I messed up. And here's what I love about Jesus. You know what he does all the time? No problem. Yes, you did. Glad you see it. Take my hand. Let's go. Let's walk. Let's get back on track. I got change for you. I want to use you. Following Jesus is the most terrifying thing a person can do. But let me also say this. Following Jesus as Lord is the most rewarding life that could ever be lived. It is the most amazing, most rewarding life that could ever be lived. But we must come to him as Lord. Uh, look at verse uh, chapter 5. Here's a guy who did it really well. Excuse me, verse 5. Chapter, chapter 8, verse 5, the part we skipped. After the leper, here's the next thing that Jesus does. Look at this. Now Jesus had entered Capernaum. Capernaum is just a little bit north on the Sea of Galilee, still right on the shore, beautiful area, still right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him, pleading with him. By the way, who is a centurion? A Roman, not a who? Not a Jew. A centurion was a Roman, a Roman military official, centurion, uh, uh, meaning he, he has at least a hundred men under his authority. It's a position of, of honor and respect. This centurion, not a Roman, excuse me, a Roman, not a Jew, comes to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. I want you to circle the word servant. The Greek word is an interesting word. Not the typical word used for servant. The Greek word is pais. Pais. And here's why that's important. Because pais is a word that is used to describe a young child. It's not used to describe an adult. It's used to describe a young child. When Jesus was 12 years old and his parents lost him in the temple... Uh, the word used for Jesus at that time is pice. So this is a young person, probably around 12 years old, probably just, you know, 10 years old, whatever. And this centurion is coming not for his servant, but for his servant's child. What does that say a lot about? It says a lot about the centurion, right? Here's this guy of great authority. It's not even his kid. It's his servant's kid. Just amazing. Just amazing. He says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. He's about to die. Verse 7. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy you might want to just, let's, let's just do this. Let's circle the word Lord and let's underline the words, I am not worthy. When those are your words, we're in a really healthy spot. A lot of us are pretty darn entitled when it comes to God. God, why are you allowing this to happen? I just can't believe it. Oh, hang on, buckaroo. What you deserve is lightning bolts right now. You might want to change your tone. Look at this centurion, Lord. I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. 
And to another I say, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. You know what's interesting about this? This guy understood a chain of command. He says, I am a man under authority. I have a general over me. And he says, hey, take all your troops and go get that hill. And I don't say, no. I say, okay, that's what I'm doing. We'll go to that hill. And I am a man of authority. I tell my guys, do this, do this, and they do it. And this tells me something very interesting. It tells me that this Roman centurion, he's not coming to Jesus as a healer. He's coming to Jesus as Lord. Big difference. He's coming to Jesus as Lord. When Jesus heard it, look at this, verse 10. When Jesus heard his answer, he marveled. The King James Version says he was astonished. The only time ever in the Bible that Jesus is astonished at someone's faith. And it's this guy right here. And you know what that tells me? My faith is the only thing I have that can touch the heart of God. That can touch Jesus. Jesus looks at it and he just goes, Oh, dude, you're amazing. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. And now I want you to pay very close attention. Look what Jesus says. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to those who followed, those who followed were who? They were Jews. And he said, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. Interesting. What's he doing? He's breaking down the prejudice. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying? Many Gentiles will come outside of Israel from the east and the west. All kinds of Gentiles from all kinds of nations and they will come to heaven. Verse 12. But the sons of the kingdom, who's that? That's the Jews. They will be cast into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Shocking words to the Jews who thought they were religiously superior to everyone else. What is Jesus doing with this leper? What is he doing with this Roman centurion? What is he doing with the Samaritans? He is breaking down the division, the prejudice, and the racism. This is our God. This is how he acts. And uh, he is showing us things here. Uh, Verse 13, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And at that moment, the servant was healed at that same hour. Wow, crazy. Servant, the word there again, once again, pice, child, servant, child healed at that very hour. Awesome story, awesome story. Here's, the, here's, the, here's what we learn. We must come to Jesus as Lord. Jesus was Lord to that centurion. You know who he wasn't Lord to? Who, who was he not Lord to? He wasn't Lord to that scribe who came to him and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Even though he was saying really nice words. Oh, I'll follow you wherever I go. Really? You sure? Okay, let's go. Oh, I don't want to go there. You don't want to play sleep tonight? Uh, I'll follow you later. He wasn't Lord to that disciple who came to him and said, oh, Well, let me first go do this other thing here. I got, a, I got a food in the oven I got to take care of. Uh, let me go take care of that. No, he wasn't Lord to him, but he was Lord to that centurion. And here's my question for you as we wrap things up. What is Jesus' role in your life? Is he really Lord? Don't just say, oh yeah, he's my Lord. Remember, he sees. And it's not me you're answering to. It's not even yourself you're answering to. You're answering to him. And your answer, he's going to weigh it. Uh, Now, have some self-discovery here. Is he really your Lord? Or are you just adding Jesus to your life for comfort? Let me give you some things to consider and to actually ponder. As you answer this question, who is Jesus in your life? In your thought life, is he Lord? Is he Lord of your thought life? Is he Lord of your marriage? Husbands, are you walking in the role that he called you to walk in in marriage? To love your wife with wisdom like Christ loved the church? 
to be a spiritual leader? Is he Lord of your marriage? Wives, are you holding up your husband's arms to help him be the best leader he can be? Are you his helpmate? Are you affirming and believing and supporting him and respecting him and admiring him so he can walk out this role that God has given him in marriage to walk out? Is he Lord of your marriage? How about at work? Is he Lord of your work? Will you cheat and cut corners and do shady things to make some extra money? Will you do some things to get that government stimulus? What will you do at work? Is he Lord of your work to close a deal? What will you do? How about your tongue? Is he Lord of your tongue? How about your finances? Is he Lord of your finances? I tell you, I have to live all this stuff too. I don't just preach it. I have to live it all myself. These are questions I ask myself. I looked at my bank statement and I realized I hadn't put God first in my finances in two months. And when you haven't put God first in your finances for two months and you, got, you go to get right, what do you have to do? That's a, that's a big that's a big check to write, right? You got two months worth now. Here was the question I had to ask myself. Well, we'll just pretend that didn't happen. We'll just move on. No, no, no. Is he Lord of your finances? Yes, he is, Lord. Okay, then. How about your sex life? Is he Lord of your sex life? Hard to get a room this quiet with this many people in it. How about your time? Is he Lord of your time? You say, Dave, what are you doing? Here's what I'm doing. Jesus is giving us an opportunity right now to reflect and to look and to remember. And we have the opportunity right now to make him Lord right now if we're off track in our finances, in our sex life, in our thought life, in our words, whatever the case might be. Hey, no problem. I'll forgive you. I'll heal you. But let's get on track. And let's make Jesus Lord of our life. Let's say, Lord, forgive me, man. I've been off track. I just, I, that's what repentance is. It says, oh, I'm on the wrong track. I want to get on your right track. I want to make you Lord of my life. We can be forgiven right now. We can have a fresh start. We can have faith like that centurion, faith that pleases God and faith that transforms us. We can have faith like that leper where we get sent out on a mission from God. Hey, church, it's time for us to rise. It's time for us to rise up. Notice how intentionally Jesus uses this opportunity with a Roman centurion to break down the racial barriers that have been there for so long. He takes the words and he says, listen, those of you who think you're in the kingdom might not even be in the kingdom and all kinds of Gentiles are coming from the east and the west and they'll be there. And uh, he's saying, hey, pay attention. Um, I want to leave you with this. As I've already mentioned, our nation is sick. We're incredibly divided. We've lost our moral compass. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. And we need unity, we need healing, and we need the grace of Jesus Christ. And I know this as sure as I know that I'm standing here. The only thing that can heal our country is returning to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And may it begin with us. May it begin with us. May we be like that leper who we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, if you are willing, you could make me clean. And he says, man, I am willing. And now I want to use you. Now I want to send you out and I want to use your life to go impact that world out there because I'm going to change this world. And Jesus can take us and use us to bring revival and to make, uh, to make a huge difference in this nation. And uh, I really believe uh, we are in a desperate time, but I also really believe, and I believe this completely, that this brings tremendous opportunity 
for the light and the gospel of Jesus Christ to go out in power. And may it begin with us. If that's your will, stand to your feet and make yourself available to the Lord. Jesus wants to do to you right now what he did to the leper. Great. No problem. Healed. Forgiven. Now, let me send you out. Go out into the world. Be a bright light. Go tell others the love of Jesus. Go love in incredible ways. And go bring healing to this world. And man, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.